0: Heavenly Father, we thank You for this morning. Lord, we thank You for this time to gather as a community and to uh, consider Your Word now. Uh, Lord, we want to be a people that that meditates upon Your Word. uh, A people that remembers it. Even as this day and this weekend, we remember those who have sacrificed on our behalf. And so today, Lord, we remember Your Word. We remember the power of Your Word and the sacrifice of Your Son, Jesus Christ, whose sacrifice is the highest emulation of all that we see in and around our nation as men and women die in the field of battle for freedom. So also Your Son died on the cross for our eternal freedom. We thank You, Father, for the great gift of salvation that comes through the sacrifice of Jesus. And we pray that as we remember this morning, uh, that You would cause us to be a grateful people. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you're receiving uh, two handouts uh, today. Uh, One of them uh, blue and the other one white. As you receive the blue one, we're going to be reading it together. So I'll wait just a a few more moments as it's passed out. By way of introduction, the uh, sheet that you're receiving, the blue sheet, is a letter that was sent throughout all of the earlier, early northern states of the United States after the Civil War. In fact, it was sent through all the states. It was meant to be a proclamation that would be used, a sort of catalyst, if you will, that would be used to dedicate and to memorialize those who had fallen to preserve the freedoms. Uh, that had come as a result of the victory of the North in the Civil War. And this general order, it was written uh, by uh, then General John A. Logan, Commander-in-Chief of the Grand Army of the Republic. It is dated May 5, 1868, and uh, we're going to go ahead and, and read it together. Once again, Headquarters, Grand Army of the Republic, General Orders No. 11, Washington, D.C., May 5, 1868, by order of John A. Logan, Commander-in-Chief. And this is what he writes. The 30th day of May, 1868, is designated for the purpose of strewing with flowers or otherwise decorating the graves of comrades who died in defense of their country during the late rebellion, he's speaking of the Civil War, and whose bodies now lie in almost every city, village, hamlet, and hamlet churchyard in the land. In this observance, no form of ceremony is prescribed, but posts and comrades will in their own way arrange such fitting services and testimonials of respect as circumstances may permit. We are organized for the purpose, among other things, of preserving and strengthening those kind and fraternal feelings which have bound together the soldiers, sailors, and marines who united to suppress the late rebellion. What can aid more to assure this result than cherishing tenderly the memory of our heroic dead who made their breasts a barricade between our country and its foes? Their soldier lives with the reveille of freedom to a race in chains, and their tattoo, their deaths, the tattoo of rebellious tyranny in arms. We should guard their graves with sacred vigilance. All that the consecrated wealth and taste of the nation can add to their adornment and security is but a fitting tribute to the memory of her slain defenders. Let no wanton uh, Foot tread rudely on such hollowed grounds, let pleasant paths invite the coming and going of reverent visitors and fond mourners. Let no vandalism or avarice or neglect, no ravages of time testify to the present or to the coming generations that we have forgotten as a people the cost of a free and undivided republic. If other eyes grow dull, if other hands slack and other hearts cold in solemn trust, ours shall keep it well as long as the light and warmth of life remain to us. Let us then, at the time appointed, gather Around their sacred remains and garland the passionless mounds above them with the choicest flowers of springtime. Let us raise above them the dear old flag they saved from dishonor. Let us in this solemn presence renew our pledges to aid and assist those whom they have left among us a sacred charge upon a nation's gratitude, the soldiers' and sailors' widow and orphan. It is the purpose of the Commander-in-Chief to inaugurate this observance with the hope that it will be kept up from year to year while a survivor of the war remains to honor the memory of his departed comrades by order of John A. Logan, Commander-in-Chief. What you read here uh, occurred just a few short years, really, after the origin of Dedication Day, what you and I now know as Memorial Day. And as I read this order uh, by General Logan, what struck me most was uh, the last three sentences on the first page. Look at it again. He writes, Let no wanton foot tread rudely on such hallowed grounds. Let pleasant paths invite the coming and going of reverent visitors and fond mourners. Let no vandalism of avarice or neglect, no ravages of time, testify to the present or to the coming generations that we have forgotten as a people the cost of a free and undivided republic. Even though... Even though the great American Civil War had ended only three short years prior to Logan's statement, Logan was quite aware of the tendencies of mankind to forget the cost of freedom. And so he diligently sought to help this nation avoid such complacency by putting the weight of his military office behind honoring a day then known as Dedication Day, now known as Memorial Day. And that effort has reached nearly 150 years of remembrance here in America of the millions of Americans who have paid the highest price to secure freedoms, both here and abroad. But the discipline of remembrance goes back far beyond the days of General Logan. There are scores of passages in the Old and the New Testaments which speak of remembering or of memorializing Difficult times through which God has brought His people. And today I want to look at one such passage. Would you open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8? In Deuteronomy chapter 8, just as Memorial Day looks back at dark and difficult times in American history, Deuteronomy 8 looks back from Moses' perspective on what the people of Israel have come through a dark and difficult time. Would you stand with me as I read verses 1-5 through of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 1 and going to verse 5. This is a memorial, a remembrance of Moses to the people about how much they've come through dark and difficult days. Deuteronomy 8, beginning in verse 1. Moses writes, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. Verse 3, so He humbled you. He allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. You may be seated. Verse 2. Of Deuteronomy 8 indicates that it was 40 years, 40 years in the wilderness that the Israelites roamed. They had left Egypt, they had been taken up out of Egypt and, and sent to what they thought was going to be a promised land, only they didn't know that there was going to be 40 years of wandering to get there. And Moses led them all the way, but for 40 straight years they went from Egypt and wandered throughout all of northern Egypt and southern what is now Israel. The people of Israel wondered, as anyone would wonder, why are we walking around for 40 years in the desert? Why are we doing this? And Moses tells them why it has happened. Look at verse 2. It says, why did this happen? To humble you and to test you. In the middle of verse 2. It was meant to humble you and to test you. 40 years of testing. We grumble and complain when a sermon goes over 40 minutes. And here we have 40 years of testing. 40 years. Imagine being tested for 40 years by God. Imagine being tried by God in something for 40 years. Imagine living in tents for 40 years. Imagine living like a refugee. For 40 years. I'm not even 40. I don't even know what 40 is. But I know it's a long time to experience the chastening of the Lord. Is it not? That's a long time to experience the chastening of the Lord. And as we contemplate the generation that experienced this, as we contemplate the generation that experienced 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, it should help us Turn down the grumbling and complaining that we often have in our day to day lives. Imagine taking whatever is causing you to grumble, whatever's causing you to have pain, whatever's causing you to, to, uh, to, to kind of uh, whine a little bit, and then weigh that up against 40 years of walking around in the wilderness, 40 years of walking around in the desert. I hardly think what you're going through could stand up to that. Why did God take the Jews through 40 years of testing? Moses tells us in verse 3. Verse 3, he writes, So He humbled you. He allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man shall not live. Man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. On your outline there, moments of humility and testing are meant to deepen our reliance on God. Moments of humility and testing are meant to deepen our reliance upon God. We just heard from James Swaffield, and uh, he, he shared an amazing testimony. And I, I remember uh, reading it and, and just... And him telling me the story even a while back when he first came, first came back from Afghanistan, he told me, he says, Neil, there, was, there were certain moments where they, the enemy would be shooting at us and literally the bullets would go in between the men, one right after the other. The bullets would go right in between my men. They wouldn't touch us. But go straight, straight in between a group of five men standing there. Talk about being humbled. Talk about being tested as a group of men fighting the enemy. And talk about, as James rightly said, he turned to his his man and said, hey, if if that's not proof of God, I don't know what is. Exactly. Exactly. If that doesn't deepen your reliance on God, what else will? If moments of trial, if moments of testing, don't turn us to the Lord, what else will? They are meant to deepen our reliance upon God. Verse 5, you should know in your heart That as a man chastens his son, so the Lord chastens you. God's testing often comes our way as a means of correcting us, of teaching us to keep going to Him as our wellspring of provision and protection. Our tendency is to bemoan the test. But God is asking us, do you see me in the midst of the test? Our tendency is to bemoan the test. We complain about the test. But God is saying, no, I want you to see me in the midst of the test. Did you see verse 4? In the midst of this test of the Israelites going through 40 years in the wilderness, Moses gave a little tidbit, a little little glimpse, that Israel was to still see God working in the midst of the test. Look at verse 4 again. It reads, your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Now, I don't know about you, but I go through clothes sometimes in less than four months. My son goes through clothes in less than four days. He has shirts that after four days have holes in them. And, And it's just like, Bennett, what did you do to your clothes? Four days after we bought you a shirt, holes everywhere. And here, the Lord, through Moses, is saying, look, even in the trial, even in the time of hardship, your clothes, a small blessing, your clothes did not wear out. As they were traveling from Egypt to the Promised Land, they didn't have the ability to stop to make their own clothing. They didn't have the time nor the resources available to them at that day and age to repair their garments And so a very small blessing during this time of wilderness wandering was that God said, you know what? I'm going to make sure your clothes stand up. I'm going to make sure your garments stand up. I'm going to make sure your feet don't swell, even though you've been walking for 40 years. Do you see me in the midst of the testing? Do you see God in the midst of the testing? Or, or, Or are your eyes only on the test itself? Look for God's hand while you are in the test, not merely after the test is over. Times of testing are hard, but Moses knew that the testing would soon end, and when it was over, a time of great blessing would come. Look at verse 6. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to fear Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you'll eat bread without scarcity, in which you'll lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and when you were full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He's given you. On your outline again, moments of humility and testing are not an end in and of themselves, but are a precursor to great blessing. Moments of humility and testing are not an end in and of themselves, but are to be a precursor to great blessing. Moses knew it was going to be worth it. He knew the blessings to come would far outweigh the wandering in the wilderness. And how true that is for our nation. Our nation has gone through times of incredible trial. You look at our nation's history. Really, we we don't have a long history compared to many nations of the world. But you look at our nation's history and you see a nation that's come through trial after trial after trial. Starting with the American Revolution. And then 100 years after that, the Civil War. And then came World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Vietnam. The first and second Iraq wars, Afghanistan, the war on terrorism. And that's just the military conflicts. We could speak of economic challenges like the Great Depression and the the times that we've gone through even now. We could speak of moral challenges like slavery and racism. We could think of challenges related to, to women's rights. We could think of challenges that we now continue to face related to abortion, related to the issue of the definition of marriage. This nation has gone through a great deal of fire, a great deal of testing. Sometimes uh, we've failed, but more often than not, we've risen up and succeeded as a nation and continue to maintain a focus on the principles of Scripture and uh And as we look at this list, as we look at this long list of trials and things that we've come through as a people and as a nation, yet still today we can look at ourselves and say that we are far and away the richest and freest nation on the earth. I don't know of a nation that can say that. I don't know of a nation where we can say we, we, we have the most blessing and the most freedom here in the United States of America put us up against any nation. And I think we excel, exceed them in those ways. People ask, you know, why? Why is it that, that the United States has been blessed? I remember I, I traveled a lot with Dr. Harold Saylor when I was um, when I was younger, I was working for a missions organization called Guidelines. And Dr. Harold Salem, many of you know him. He does a, a five-minute radio commentary on K-Wave and many other stations. He's been a, a Bible teacher for many, many years, decades and decades. And uh, he would often travel, especially to Asia and uh, to the Philippines, uh, to China and whatnot. And I remember being in the Philippines, and there were a group of uh, pastors there, and they were asking us um, a little bit about uh, just... Uh, the United States, and they were asking us a little bit about how, what it was like to be a church and a pastor in the United States. And one of the men rose up and, uh, and asked Dr. Sala, and I was sitting there just kind of watching one of my mentors you know, answer and handle the question. And one of the pastors rose up and asked, Dr. Sala, why has the United States been so blessed and the Philippines has been so uh, just so hurt and, and it's just so always entrenched in difficulty in poverty and in pain? And before Dr. Sailor could answer, another man rose up and said, I'd like to answer that. And he walked up and he had on him a U- United States dollar bill. And he held up the dollar bill and he turned it around and he read it. And he says, this is why. And he said, in God we trust. And Dr. Selah hadn't even answered the question. Another Filipino man had answered the question for him and said that one of the reasons why America has been so blessed is because we were a nation that was founded on the biblical principles of the Christian faith. And we've not always been faithful to those principles. But there have been moments of resurgence in this nation. Whenever we've gone off track, there have been moments of resurgence where we've turned the tide and righted the ship. And I think we would be foolish as a people to suppose that all of our blessings, all of our freedoms, all of the wealth of this nation and the blessing of it has nothing to do with our strong Christian heritage, we would be foolish to say that. The Lord honors a nation whose God is the Lord. We see that in the Scriptures. We see that in the common outplay of world history. And the nation that strays from the Word of God is a nation that will soon perish. Amen? And we always remember the foundation. Thank God that we live in this nation. But yet how easy it is to forget our blessings. How easy it is to forget. And that's exactly what Moses was telling the Israelites. He says, look, you're going to walk into that promised land soon. Not that generation, by the way, because it was going to be their children that were going to walk into the promised land. But he was saying, your children, they're going to walk into this promised land soon. And when they do, they're going to see incredible blessing, incredible wealth, incredible resources, incredible opportunity. And he said, you just remember now that I've told you these blessings are coming so that you do not forget the price paid to receive them. Look at verse 11. He says, beware, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God." by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful homes and dwell in them, and when your herbs and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, verse 17, and then you say in your heart, My power and the might of My hand have gained Me this wealth. Far be it, Moses says. Far be it from your children to walk into the promised land to see all these blessings, to see the greatness of what God has done for you and for them to then say, it's our hand. It's our hand that's done this. It's by our might that we are what we are. By our power that we've gained this wealth. That we've built this house that we've multiplied these riches, Moses says, far be it from you that you should ever say that. In the days before the great invasion of Normandy by Allied forces in World War II, President Eisenhower sat down and he wrote a letter. The letter was to be read to the American people if the invasion of Normandy failed. In it, President Dwight Eisenhower cast no blame. Instead, he accepted full responsibility for the failure of the battle, if in fact it were to fail. As history has demonstrated, within a week of the invasion, it was quite clear that Allied forces had secured the beaches of Normandy. And President Eisenhower sat down and wrote a second letter In it, he accepted no credit, but instead showered great praise upon the soldiers whose courage and bravery had made the victory possible. Now, contrast that with what we see all too often among our political representatives today. How often do our leaders cast blame at the feet of others? How slow are our leaders to accept responsibility for failure? How quick they are to accept accolades, even showering themselves with praise, for the smallest of victories. My memory now serves me poorly, whether it was president or general Eisenhower. Can someone, Dave, you can correct me. Um, Maybe someone else can correct me. I think he was president at the time, but now now my memory is just absolutely gone. Scott, General Eisenhower, I apologize. I said President, I was meaning to say General as I was reading and I said, I'm saying this wrong. But Eisenhower, he accepted blame. He wrote a letter and said, look, if the invasion fails, it's my fault. He wrote the letter ahead of time to let everyone know that it was his fault and his alone if that invasion were to fail. If World War II were to turn to the Germans and instead... The invasion succeeded. But rather than accepting the accolades, which were certainly due, rather than accepting the accolades, instead Eisenhower chose to defer all, those pra- all that praise to the men and women who had made the victory possible. Moses knew, Moses knew of the tendency of man to blame God in the bad times and to forget God in the good times. He knew that when times were tough, man would be quick to shift blame. But when times were good, men would be quick to accept the accolades of their own achievement. And he says, far be it from us that we should say, my power and the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. Instead, we are to practice the discipline of remembrance. The discipline of remembrance. Look at verse 18 to the end. Moses writes, And you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Then it shall be, if you, by any means, forget the Lord your God, and follow other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish, as the nations which the Lord destroys before you. So you shall perish, because you would not be obedient. To the voice of the Lord your God, if we fail, if we fail to remember from whom our blessings come, we will waste away like those who do not know the Lord. For the Jews of Bible times, the discipline of remembrance was grilled into them through the Word of the Lord to Moses, they had been taught to remember various religious holidays, various feasts, various festivals, each of which spoke to great moments in Jewish history. Each of which spoke to great theological truths that God was teaching to the Jew and to the Greek alike. And the nation celebrated those feasts. They honored each one Seven in all by the time of Christ. Seven feasts that were honored annually. The nation came together, rallied together, and remembered. They practiced the discipline of remembrance. Remembrance of what God had done. As a nation, they remembered together. And so also, it is good and proper for us to remember what God has done for us as a nation. This weekend, there are going to be or this Monday there are going to be a, a number of Memorial Day events. Um, I'm going to I'll mention them to you at the end of this service if you're interested. I'd encourage you. There are about four events that are very local. I would encourage you to go as a family. Some as early as 8:30, others as late as five in the, in the afternoon. Go tomorrow and remember, as our nation remembers, those men and women who have died fighting for our freedoms. It is good to remember as a nation all that God has blessed us with. We need to remember as a nation. We need to remember as a church. One of the things that I appreciate about Coast Bible Church is its history. One of the things... I, I despise most about a church. When I, when I go to a new church, I'm always, I, I, I have opportunities when I travel to see my parents or to see family and friends when we're on the road. When I get to go to another church, I'm always excited because then I, I get preached to. I get to receive instruction. I get to be fed. And when I go, I'm always, I always check the bulletin right. I check some sort of a documentation of the church's history because I want to read about it. I want to know about it. I want to know the highs and lows that that a church has gone through. And one of the things I appreciate most about Coast is our history. This year we're going to be celebrating 45 years as a church family. That's important. So many churches today have no concept of their history, of what God has taken them through. So many churches couldn't name, uh, the folks in the pew couldn't name the pastor that came before the one standing before them. So many churches de emphasize the importance of what God has done in and through their history, both the achievements and the struggles. We should celebrate both, because both through the high times and the low, God has preserved our local community as we have continued to seek his face. And may we as a church continue as we meet together through times of communal prayer and through different celebrations, we think of our Thanksgiving feasts and other events throughout the year. This this year we're celebrating forty five years as a church uh, right after our VBS celebration. We want to come and remember and celebrate what God has done and continue on the heritage. And finally, remembering as a family. Remembering as a family. You know, I think of uh I think of our, our we're in such a, a picture and video culture, right? And we all what do we take pictures of? We take pictures of the good things, right? We take pictures when things are fun. We take pictures of parties, we take pictures of things that we want to remember with joy, and that was that was of great entertainment or of great meaning to us. And yet how often do we take a picture of the hard times? How often do we take a picture of the difficult moment? It seems we put the cameras away during those times. But instead, it's a family with your family. If you don't have a family with your closest friends, those whom you share life with, you need to remember both the highs and the lows, the great things that God has done, and the times of testing where you still saw Him in it. My wife and I, uh, we often, uh, we're we're best of friends, I I tell you. and It's a blessing. And uh, we often just sit on the couch at the end of the day, you know, having put the kids to bed, and we, we reminisce over the years. And we reminisce about uh, the, the, the past joys of our marriage. But we also remember a time in our marriage, uh, it was our third year of marriage, where we openly and freely share with people. It was the hardest year of our marriage. We, we were going in different directions our third year of marriage, for whatever reason. But we speak about that time. And why do we speak about it? Because we know that it's good to remember that God took us through it. That He molded and shaped us through it. That He took two people who were going in two different directions in 2004 and yet continued to sanctify and to bless our marriage because we slowly but surely kept our eyes on Him and kept asking Him for help. And it wasn't easy. Celebrate those hard times. Remember those hard times. They're what forge character. They're where you truly see the hand of God. How we remember is not what matters, but that we remember. Remembering takes different forms. The methods are not nearly as important as the act of remembering. And as we remember, know that we're not merely to celebrate the great times of blessings, but also the times of hardship, memorialize even the moments of testing. And in all this, let us remember that it was the memorialization of great hardship that characterizes the story of Scripture. The Bible would not be what it is, the Christian religion would not be what it is without the magnificent and unique story of a Savior who saved Through suffering. No other world religion can claim it. No other teaching. No other world philosophy can claim it. The Christian faith is the only faith through which salvation comes through suffering, through trial, through hardship, through a cross. And as Paul wrote to Timothy at the bottom of your outline, in 2 Timothy 2, verses 8-10, to he said, memorialize, remember, that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead, according to my Gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer even to the point of chains. But the Word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul said, memorialize this hardship. Can you believe it? Our Savior rose from the dead. Pay tribute to that. Remember that through thick and thin. And remember this too, that you'll suffer trouble because of this Gospel. That you're you're going to suffer pain because of this message. Because the enemy doesn't want this message coming out. It's the only unique story for which the world is waiting. The only true story of redemption. That through the cross, through the blood of Christ, came the power of forgiveness and of reconciliation by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says you're going to suffer as you proclaim this Gospel. You're going to suffer as you memorialize, as you remember this. Just as tomorrow, many of us will shed tears as we consider, as many celebrate and honor the fallen dead, so too we as a a people of the Christian faith, Um, as we remember the sacrifice of Christ, it takes us to a deep and humble place But it's by looking at that cross where we find hope. Where we know that we're a part of a community of faith. We're a part of a kingdom movement that only God could have envisioned. Only God could have written this story. No man would have wrote it this way. You are part of something magnificent. And we are to remember it, to memorialize it, and to be grateful for it. Practice the spiritual discipline of remembering. Tomorrow, remember as a nation. This month, as we anticipate 45 years of Coast, let us remember as a church. We're going to be sharing stories about the history of the church in the coming weeks. In your family, remember as a family. Memorialize through a devotion, through a photo album, whatever it is, but memorialize the good and the hardships that God has brought you through so that when the hardships come again, you can see a memorial that reminds you that you too will get through this time. Let's close in a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, this Memorial Day weekend, we want to be a people who practices the discipline of remembrance. We see that, Lord, exemplified in Deuteronomy 8 today. Moses was insistent That the people remember, remember all that You had done, Lord. And that they would not get to a place of success or a blessing and then say to themselves, I did it. I did it on my own. No, Lord, but instead that we would get to those places of blessing And look back and say, thank You. Thank You, Lord, that we are here now. We'll be grateful for this moment of success. And when the next trial comes, we'll know and we'll look for You in the midst of the trial. And we'll know that You're going to get us through it. Father, ultimately we know that on the last day, You will make all things right that on the last day when sin and death has been totally conquered, we will look back and we will see the victory that You have won, that Your Son has won for us. And so Lord, let that remembrance, let that remembrance of the Gospel, the remembrance of the sacrifice of Christ, the remembrance of all that You're doing both yesterday and today, let those remembrances give us fuel for the days and weeks and years ahead. May we continue to run this race with great perseverance. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.